<clears throat> All right, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing, where we share stories about investors who either came from affordable housing, who are investing in affordable housing, and all things real estate, because we believe there are multiple ways to make funny money in real estate. Today, I got my friend and buddy, Matt Parker, who is a full-time real estate investor. He owns a bunch of properties right now, including Section 8 properties. So today, I am happy to welcome Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from, man. Yeah, Kent, appreciate you having me on, man. Uh, so actually, I'm not a full-time investor yet. Oh, you're not? Yeah, I'm definitely you sounded like you're full-time because you have so many doors. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm actually, my W-2 is with the Oregon Army National Guard. And so I spend most of my time doing that. Um, and I, I try to squeeze in as much time doing real estate on the side. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm born and raised in Oregon. Uh, what actually got me into investing was I deployed with the Oregon uh, Army National Guard back in 2020 to Kosovo. And when I came back, it was like, hey, I have all this uh, extra cash laying around. Like, I, I have mm -hmm. to invest it somehow. And I think I did like the most cookie cutter way that you can get into real estate, which is finding bigger pockets, reading yep. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then like the rest is history, right? <laughs> uh, so that's primarily the way I went about it um, because I was into bigger pockets and all that. I thought mm -hmm. house hacking was the way that I was going to make my millions. And so I'm actually, the house I'm in now, it's a, a duplex that I'm house hacking, bought it with mm -hmm. an FHA loan, only put like three and a half percent down. And, but then once I got this, it was like, okay, uh, I'm pretty quickly running out of capital. How do I get mm -hmm. more without having to put as much down? And through that search, I found Pace Morby and Sub2. And right when I decided to join, which was September of last year, mm -hmm. I switched away from my the same W-2 I'm in now. Mm -hmm. um, I actually left, uh, quit that job because they were going to move me to a different position, but not pay me anymore, at least what they promised me initially. Got it. Uh, so I was kind of forced to quit, um, but joined Sub2 right when I I left and went to a, an operations manager position with mm -hmm. a target distribution center. Got it. And it was working night shift. It was supposed to be 10 hours for four days, but it turned out to be more like 16 hours for four days. Wow. <laughs> and where I was only supposed to work on night shift for six months before I could swap to a different shift. Mm -hmm. uh, they told me it was going to be 18 months. And so... Wow. It wasn't until my daughter, I have two daughters now, but mm -hmm. at the time just had my one, uh, Lilia, who was three years old at the time. She was acting super weird. And I asked her like, what's going on? And she said, you're a stranger to me now. And I was like, uh, so I immediately called my old boss who I work mm -hmm. for again now. Mm -hmm. Um, and was like, Hey, what do I got to do to come back? And he was like, man, you can start in two weeks if you want. So I told my boss at Target and, and left there two weeks later. And so even though I joined Sub2 in mm -hmm. September of 21, mm -hmm. I like to say my official start date was uh, March 1st of Got this it. year. Because mm -hmm. that's when I started getting really serious about it. And pretty quickly, I started uh, you know, consuming the content more regularly. Mm -hmm. But then started jumping on the phone. And Ken, I wish I would have taken a screenshot of this listing because it was a FISBO on Trulia. Got it. For 
an eight unit apartment complex in Kentucky. And I, I don't know what drove me to call that listing, but I decided to call uh, the seller's name is Tim. And we start chatting about what he's trying to do. And he's like, he's like, man, this is my last property that requires any sort of like tenant management. Mm -hmm. And I, I've shifted away. I used to have a portfolio of 60 doors in mm -hmm. uh, Kentucky and like Ohio and that kind of area. And he's like, I, I transferred all of them 1031 in triple net leases. And he's like, this is the last one. And oh, by the way, there's a 10 uh, or excuse me, a, a duplex across the street. And I just got done with a five year lease option with this guy who didn't execute his option until the very last day of the the option period which Got extended it. the whole thing another 60 days and then he couldn't get financing for it and so i was like well then what do you really need and he's like i just need to know that i'm going to be able to 1031 this at the end of whatever i do next mm -hmm. and so I, I was like well would you do seller finance because he owns it free and clear got it and uh through that whole thing basically I, I spoke with, uh, to be honest, I kind of, <laughs> I lied my ass off a little bit about my experience in real estate and I kind of leveraged the fact that I was in sub two. I said I was partnered with uh, a bunch of investors that invest mm -hmm. all around the nation, which is yep. not necessarily untrue. Right. Correct. And he, he ended the conversation by saying, Hey, you know, that sounds really great, but I have this other couple in California that is willing to put a hundred K down after they pull a HELOC out on their primary residence. And then kind of unknowingly, I didn't, I'm not the kind of person that naturally does the, the pull away method. Mm -hmm. um, and now that I know about it, I, I have to try to force myself to use it. But at that time I was just being honest. I was like, yeah. Tim, then you just got to go with them. Cause I can't put a hundred K down. And he was like, okay, well, let me think about it. And he calls me back like two days later. And he's like, Matt, I don't want to go through with this California couple because this would be their first investment property. You sound like you know what you're doing. So I want to go with you. And I was like, okay. So then we start the negotiations and it. he's like, well, what can you put down? I want like <laughs> 30%. And I was like, oh, I can do like 10. And he's like, <laughs> okay, well. So then it, it essentially became uh, 10% down, uh, 4% interest only for five years. And then wow. boom, after that mm -hmm. and all together for the, the eight unit and the duplex across the street, it's like 720 K got it. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. I'll send the paperwork over now. And I hang up the phone and I was like, dude, I have to come up with $72,000 <laughs> in like a couple of days. What am I going to do? <laughs> and luckily leverage uh the sub two community to find a partner to bring the capital mm -hmm. but he was like look dude uh I, I have no time to do anything other than give you the capital mm -hmm. and you need to do everything else and i was like that's exactly what i'm looking for Love uh, it. even to the point that i i self-manage it myself all the way from over here in oregon Got um, it. which is kind of a gift and a curse in a way um <laughs> So yeah, we ended up closing that bad boy and it's, it's interesting. Cause like I said, it's a gift and a curse that property itself. Cause 
there's a lot of good that's coming from it, mm-hmm. but there's also some uh, tough parts too. All right. Well, let me pause there because you just told an amazing story. Not only did you get started first with a house hack, you just got started. But yeah. then quickly you realize like, okay, based on my limited resources, how can I be more resourceful? And that's when you decide to join sub two. Yeah. And you didn't stop there. You took action, right? Lots of people join mentorships and they don't take action. But you actually started and picked the call, which picked up the phone, which is one of the hardest things to do. You called them and all unbeknownst to you, you're going to land a eight unit deal and a duplex. So dude, congratulations, man. Like, like I, it's just so good to hear about the pull away method when it works, where you might say like, Hey, I'm not, might not be your buyer. Like trying to look out for your seller's best interest, trying to be a problem solver. Mm-hmm. And you, by just taking action and by finding the right deal, I think this is so inspiring for so many people, right? Everyone says like, I don't have the money, so I'm not going to go buy it. You went the opposite way and demonstrated like you can just take action. When you find a good deal, the money will come. Like how would you say that's pretty true for how your experience went with your first uh, first property there? I mean, on seller finance? Yeah, when I underwrote the thing, excuse me, uh, when I underwrote the thing, it came out to be like a 22% cash on cash return. So I was Solid. like, dude, that's pretty good especially with everything I was used to bigger pockets and you know Brandon Turner mm-hmm. says if I can get 12% I'm pretty happy so I was like man this is way more than that mm-hmm. and <laughs> yeah so that's I really it came down to uh, kind of unknowingly um using the pull away technique but then also being confident in how I was underwriting these and mm-hmm. what's funny is as I didn't do it with cap rate and all that kind of stuff which probably is the right way to go about it. I knew how to underwrite single family homes. And so I just kind of multiplied by eight and it it really, it it comes down to like, (laughs) what's your income, what's your expenses and how much money did you put in the deal? And that's Mm -hmm. your, your estimated cash on cash return. And that can obviously go, you know, both ways. If you underwrite poorly, um, you could be performing less than what you think, but Luckily, with this one, we're actually performing a lot better, almost double what we initially started with. Congratulations on the success, man. I mean, yeah. tell me. uh, So what I want to do on this podcast is like, I want to kind of pull away the curtains a little bit, right? And show people how the sausage is kind of made. So when you first got this deal, like, what did you do? How did you get that private equity partner? Did you just post it on a Facebook group and someone replied right away? Like, tell us a little bit about the process. Yeah, it really was just putting the underwriting together with all the Mm -hmm. information I had, the pictures, almost kind of like a flyer for if I was going to wholesale the deal or sign it Mm. out. Um, But I I made it abundant and clear, like, hey, I just need capital. I'll do everything else. This is a 50-50 equity split Mm -hmm. where you bring 72,000 and then you Mm -hmm. should expect to get this kind of return on your money after Mm -hmm. five years. Um, and then from there, let's get some kind of other financing, but then keep this thing going for, you know, as long as we possibly can. And there's a lot of interest up front. Mm -hmm. Um, but pretty quickly you start filtering out who's just asking to be able to look at it for the sake of looking and and who was actually serious and was like, okay, I'm bringing the funds. So yeah, it really was, uh, luckily just throwing it out on Facebook and mm-hmm. finding somebody. 
Got it. So I love that you just put it out there. And that seems so simple. Like someone might say like, no, you're lying, right? Like that, that can't be it. Like that seems way too easy. But you did it and you're a living and breathing example of it. Uh, lots of people ask questions about how do you structure partnerships, right? Like, so what was kind of the split? Like, did you guys have conversations up front? Like, Hey, what happens in the worst case scenario? Or did you have a conversation like, Hey, we will definitely sell the property in five years. Tell us a little bit about how this, how you structured it. Or is like, I hear lots of times where people just say, because you brought all the money, you get some capital back first, and then we'll split after a year or two. Can you give us some details there and how you structured it? Yeah. So it, initially the first conversation, like I said, was, Hey, you bring the funds and then mm -hmm. I'll do everything else. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was all based on. And then we started talking about, okay, if something goes South, how can we like amicably mm -hmm. break this up? Yep. And so we really, we thought about worst case scenario and then kind of worked back from there. And it's all stuff that we just threw into our operating agreement mm -hmm. and signed off on that bad boy. Um, uh, no, I mean, that's good, right? Because it's so important when people just enter into partnerships. Like how often do you have friends like you might say, hey, let's go start a business together, right? But you never really go through the tactical details. I think that's what makes you a more credible partner. It's like you decide to have those real conversations with your partners so that you hammer out all the details, like should the worst case scenario happens, like what will we do in that scenario? And I love that you did it. And I love that you put it on paper because you got to have it on paper, man. Otherwise, people are just going to say like, hey, I don't remember this conversation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think I was a little bit lucky that it was um, somebody, it, it helps a little bit when it isn't that friend, you know, <laughs> because then you start thinking about it. Um you never really have this thought of like, oh, it's going to work out. Like we've been buddies for a while. Like we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, so you, you kind of think about it through this lens of like, okay, I don't really know this dude. Mm -hmm. So if it does go bad, how am I going to get out of this um, where it doesn't get really ugly, you know? Yep. And, and really we came down to like, hey, if it's performing at 20% in five years, we should be able to recoup that 72,000 back. And then mm -hmm. if we need to go get financing or when we get financing at the five-year mark, uh, potentially we use that as the down payment or mm -hmm. if it's appreciated uh, a little bit more, maybe we don't even have to do that. So we're kind of going to cross that bridge when we get to it. Yep. Um, so we'll see. But. Yeah, but I love that you did a scenario planning, right? Where like, if X happens, then we'll do Y. So you guys have at least some mental preparation for what to do. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely commend you on that, man. That's that's beautiful. So yeah. let's talk more about now getting this property up and running. Uh, this eight unit, I know there's some Section 8 tenants in there that you mm -hmm. um, so kindly offer for affordable housing. Tell us what has been the good and the bad stories associated with kind of getting it up and running and, and kind of managing the process, because I think it's so important for people to know what's the upside, but also some of the hard things you're going to face as a landlord. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll start with the good. Okay. So the good, we went into it, we underwrote the deal or I underwrote the deal with property mm -hmm. management there. So I was expecting, you know, 10% to go out every month to the property yep. manager. 
And there, there's only two property managers in that area. It's in Frankfort, Kentucky, right by okay. university. And the one property manager was like, Hey, I got too many properties. We can't take on anymore. And the other one, he came back and said, yeah, it's 10%. And every time we get a new tenant in there, it's going to cost one month's rent. And mm -hmm. there, there's definitely like a scarcity mindset that I still have in relation to that. Cause what that immediately told me was like, all right, I'm going to self-manage this thing. I just have to figure <laughs> out how to make that happen, which mm -hmm. again, like I'm a glutton for punishment because it's performing really well, but there are times I'll talk about the bad stuff here in a second. Yeah. Um, so how I, I kind of bridged that gap was, and again, I think it was like really a stroke of luck. I had one of the tenants at the duplex call me and she was saying, Hey, you know, the grass over here is really long. Uh, when are you getting a landscaper out here? And, and in my head, I underwrote it with landscaping, but then I never, okay you know, made the calls to get someone out there, you know, <laughs> and, and through my conversation with her, she's like, Oh, well, my son has a, a landscaping business. And I was like, well, let's just pay him. And then she was, like, oh. she was like, man, that'd be great. Cause you know, back in the day when I managed this place, I was like, time out. Did you just take <laughs> place? She was like, yeah. And I was like, what, why'd you stop? And she's like, uh, someone purchased the place and got their own property management. So I didn't have to do it. She's lived there for like 16 years, which is crazy. She's wow. like, she's staff at the university. So mm -hmm. she can really just walk across the parking lot and she's at work, uh, which I think is why she probably has just stayed there and rented that long. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so then I was like, well, what do you think about managing the property again? She's like, yeah, I'd be open to that. And I said, well, Hey, what do you think about this? I, you have a W-2. I don't want you to have to, you know, put a ton of time toward this property, but I do want to compensate you for the time that you work on it. So mm -hmm. what if I just pay you uh, an hour's worth of work anytime you have to do anything for the property? So like if you spend 20 minutes unlocking the door for a contract to get in there, I'll pay you for an hour. If Got you it. have to act, you know, the next hour and lock it up, I'll pay you for another hour. Love so it's like hourly thing, but not salary. And she's like, yeah, that sounds good. And I was like, okay, so what do you think is fair for an hourly rate? Again, another thing that like Pace kind of talks mm -hmm. about. Um, and at that time, I kind of unknowingly used it and, and benefited. Wow. And, and I was thinking she was going to say like 20 or 25 bucks. Mm -hmm. And like, I'd take like 15 bucks. And sold. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, done, done deal. So the most I've ever had to pay her was when we actually turned a unit and got a section eight tenant in there. Mm. And it was the most time she spent uh, doing something with the property. We ended up paying her that month. I think it was like 135 bucks oh, compared so to 10% of what the gross income would have been. Uh, so we basically saved somewhere around six, 700 bucks just. And that's doing real. That bottom yeah. line numbers and i think so that shows just that shows the hustle you got in you man like like <laughs> i think dude every single thing that you have told me so far have shown me that you have to grit and you have the resourcefulness to make things work and just to think creatively right i, I think you got to give yourself credit like i don't think it's a stroke of luck i think you always ask the right questions and i can't 
harp on this enough for people that are listening is like sometimes you just got to ask a question and sometimes you will just manifest things as crazy as it might sound and things just will happen for you because you're taking the action you're asking the right questions man so props to you on that and you found a creative resource and people underestimate how important it is to have help right like yeah that's how you actually make the numbers happen just like you said i had a number for landscaping but i didn't really know I had, I didn't really know I had to call landscapers, which is so true. Some people are just so in-depth in the numbers that they forget that you got to actually operate on with it yeah. and to achieve those numbers, right? So props to you again. So you got a pseudo property manager at a great rate because, and you were able to kind of keep all that in the bottom line. So I'm sure your partner was really happy with that. Tell us about the Section 8 tenant that you were getting into the property. Yeah, so it all came from... Uh, one tenant left and it kind of abruptly, honestly, he was on a month to month lease. Mm -hmm. I don't know where he just said, he's just like, I'm out of here. I think it was okay. the text that he said, like, I'm out of here. And I was like, uh, as, as in like, he, you're leaving on a vacation or like, what's going on? <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm, I'm leaving. I left the keys on the counter. It's all cleaned out, which it wasn't. And he's like, uh, I'm, I'm done. Please end my lease. So I was like, okay. So then I advertise the property. I use uh, avail is the property mm -hmm. management software I use and made a listing. It's syndicated out to like eight other websites. And I started getting uh, quite a lot of interest. And then a lot of the folks kept saying, do you accept vouchers? And I'm like, what are they talking about? And there wasn't until mm -hmm. there was this one, lady who would not give up like daily. Mm -hmm. Hey, do you take vouchers? Hey, do you take section eight? And I finally was like, Hey, can you give me a phone number to call to get more information? Cause I'm interested. Like I mm -hmm. heard about section eight and a lot of people say like, there's, there's good, there's bad. And I was like, let's, let's figure it out. You know, at least some <laughs> of it is guaranteed income and, yep. and who can argue with that. Right. Uh, so she gave me a phone number to the section eight folks over in uh, that area of Kentucky. And she kind of laid it out for me. She's like, Hey, you know, we pay a certain percentage of their rate uh, rent every month. Uh, mm -hmm. You basically have to fill out these forms. We have to do this inspection. And if you pass the inspection, then your entire building is input into our system. And anytime we have any tenants that are looking in that area, we'll reach out to you to see if you have any wow. vacancy. And I was like, man, that's freaking great. Like, I don't even have to advertise uh, the property. <laughs> Free marketing, have right? Tenants that want to come in. And that's held true. Like, I'm, I have a unit that um, was an eviction, which I'll talk about that. That's part of the bad. Mm -hmm. And another one next month that's going to open up. And I'm probably going to fill both of those with Section 8. Um. But the one, the one that uh, I did the eviction does not pass that inspection. It's like super small stuff, like holes Got in it. the drywall and some holes in the floor. So once I get those fixed, then I'll get another Section 8 tenant in there. The good with it, too, is they're paying 165 more than any of the other tenants are. And wow. so total, they're paying 865 a month. And... Section eight pays, I want to say it's like 573 a month is guaranteed by section eight. So uh, that, that is really the, the biggest reason why we went forward with it. Um, now in hindsight, I can be pretty happy because talking with the tenant that we got, her name is Tracy. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she was getting turned down at a ton of other places just because she's just receiving her social security check. Mm-hmm. And, um, but she's a super sweet lady and has been honestly a better tenant than most of my other ones. <laughs> oh man. All right. Let me pause there because you've highlighted some really, really good policies, right? You got the guaranteed rent from mm-hmm. section A from the government. They're going to pay on time every single month. And then you also got free marketing because they're actually thanking you for offering your house to these people that are in need of affordable housing. So I absolutely love that. And you had a tenant that just moved in that seems to be a really, really sweet lady. And I think you are single-handedly changing her life for the better because you're giving her opportunity for a stable home now that she's been turned down everywhere else, man. So, dude, I I love this story and I love the help that you're kind of giving to folks that are definitely in need, right? I told you before, I came from Section 8 Housing and and I know how big of an impact provides a family and the kids because they just need a stable home to kind of grow up in man so i want to stop here and just like thank you for what you're doing man seriously this is beautiful uh, <laughs> Thanks, all right man. so let's go into the bad stuff like they're just like everything there are going to be issues like you mentioned that section a found some holes in the drywall which is not necessarily a bad thing right it's they no. actually help you stay on top of your maintenance that's actually kind of good but tell us a little bit more about some of the problems that you've had running running into uh this property and running into the section eight tenants there yeah. So, uh, like I mentioned, I made the call sometime in March and we didn't close the deal until like the middle of May. Mm-hmm. And so right about then is when it starts getting pretty warm over there in Kentucky. Mm. And what do you know? We closed the deal, paperwork signed, everything's good to go. And then five air conditioning units take a dump. Five, five, five. No way. Oh my God. (laughs) I'm calling around trying to get folks to go out there and do quotes and you know, what would it take to replace these? The cheapest one was 21,000 and for all five for replacing all five. Yep. Okay. Got it. Got it. And so that basically ate essentially a year's worth of cash flow right there. Just gone off the bat. And, and really what that taught me was, yeah, it's cool to buy real estate, mm-hmm. you know, sight unseen. I still haven't seen that property in person, mm-hmm. um, but I missed out on doing a little bit more due diligence up front. And maybe I could have caught that because a lot of those air conditioning units were, you know, 15 plus years old. And so they're oh, coming okay. due for replacement anyways. So that was a big learning experience for me. Now that I know that, you know, sub two reaches out across the nation, I probably would have mm-hmm. gotten somebody uh, to, you know, walk it. And and now mm-hmm. I know every time I buy a property, I'm definitely having them uh, check the air conditioners to see what's <laughs> going on with those. But that was the first thing. And, and so with it being a 50, 50 split, the cool thing is I get 50% of the profit, but I also have to pay 50% of the expenses. That's fair. And so yeah. right off the bat, it's like, yeah, I closed my first deal. Uh, yeah, here's a about $11,000 check that I'm writing. And I'm like, dude. And and for a while there, I was like, did I did I mess something up? Like, it, it feels good to close a deal, but it feels bad mm-hmm. that I had to write uh, one of the biggest checks of my life at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to fix something about it. 
Um, so that was the first tough part. And then um, I have another instance, and this all kind of started a couple months ago with a tenant who was a student at Kentucky State University. Mm-hmm. I think she was finishing up school there and she was kind of like back and forth between Kentucky and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like her, by the way, she got rent relief once already. And the got check it. came in right when we closed. So we're like, okay, then she pays a month on time. And then the next month, all of a sudden it's like, here's all these stories. Uh, I crashed my car in Tennessee. I can't come back. Uh, I can't pay rent because I need to buy a car. Um, can I just pay a portion now and then I'll pay the rest later? And I'm, I'm like a naturally like a pretty agreeable person. Mm-hmm. And I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And that yep. bit me in the butt on this one because okay, out of like a $745 rent, she paid like 250 bucks and then just ghosted me completely. No. And then uh, okay. and then I start getting emails from another rent relief. And but they're like, hey, like it doesn't look like um we have all the information. We need to get it from your tenant, not from you, but they can't get a oh, hold no. of the tenant anymore. And so I'm like, all right, I have to do an eviction and uh, do the notice to quit in Kentucky. You have, you can do it in seven days. Okay. Um, she doesn't reply or anything like that. And so then we start moving forward. And at one point she finally like resurfaces and I'm like, Hey, here's the update. We're going through the eviction process. Um, but I'm going to give you a chance to go in there and get your stuff. And so she somehow makes it over to Kentucky, gets into the unit. Um, the property manager, like, makes sure that she gets in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the property manager, she goes back to the duplex and, like, doesn't come back. The tenant never let her know that she was done. So what the tenant does is she kind of, like, half-heartedly packs her stuff. But then she shoves a water bottle in the toilet somehow that allowed it to keep running water, which I don't know how it happened, but it overflowed the toilet. Yeah. And it it went all the way through the bathroom, out into the living room, into the kitchen. And I don't find out until the tenant downstairs from her says, hey, there's water coming through the ceiling. So the, the property manager, she runs back over there and she's like, oh, yeah, there's there's water everywhere. She has me on like FaceTime. Oh my she God. gets the water turned off on the toilet and then uh, she starts walking back toward the kitchen and everything. And she's like, yeah, there's some boxes of clothes and blah, blah, blah. And dude, right smack in the middle of the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the kitchen is a dildo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god why <laughs> uh, so and then uh again the tenant never to be heard from again um it, in that case with us going to like the court for the eviction she doesn't show up so we mm-hmm. in kentucky the landlord auto wins if that's the case i see um so somehow that's gonna like go to collections or something and we'll see if we get anything from it but uh, now 
I would say those are the two biggest things with that property are the fact that, you know, a year's worth of cash flow got eaten up from a lack mm-hmm. of due diligence on my part. Mm-hmm. And then an eviction that led to uh, a, a tenant basically wrecking the unit and and leaving a dildo on the kitchen yeah, I like what a story man and like that, yeah. that that could be a great conversation in any real estate meetup you're like oh let me tell you about this tenant but dude i think you got to give yourself some credit there again man because you have such a great story now because of your experience right so now when another investor thinks about investing with you they're like well matt what have you done what what mistakes have you learned from now you have something to fall back on and actually say like well Last time I made a mistake on air conditioning, I would much rather work with someone like yourself that has had experience dealing with difficulties and coming up with problems and solutions to address them. Like the AC thing, fine. Like people get so scared about the worst case scenario and you just walk through like two worst case scenarios. And I think that pulling apart the curtain really helps people realize, okay, you know, that was bad, but now that I know about it, I know how to prevent it. And I'm, and I'm, I want to thank you for like sharing that mistake with our audience, because now people will learn about that. And they're like, oh no, I learned from this guy, Matt, and I would never ever not walk a property and check the air conditioning units on my property. Right. So yeah. I think that gives you more credibility, uh, more than anybody else, especially any newbie investor out there. So that's amazing, dude. I love that. Um, but so you, you got the, tenant evicted right that's probably one of the worst case scenarios about being a landlord so did you just clear out her stuff afterwards like have you done an assessment on like the water damage because that sounds horrible as well yeah so uh yeah the property manager she went back in there um you know she threw down a bunch of towels and like threw out some fans to try to like dry it up it dried pretty well and from what we've seen like we we just had the section eight inspector Mm -hmm. go through there and again the things that he called out were holes in the wall and holes in the floor it he didn't notice any water damage he didn't reference any mold or anything like that which i mean i really hope that's not something that comes up later on Mm -hmm. um but as far as getting a section 8 tenant in there um i have someone at the end of this week which is it's another bonus of having that property manager there on the ground because uh man i another not really that bad of a story but everything that i've done as far as you know getting contractors and and people to help out with my duplex here in oregon i've used like thumbtack and things like that so for kentucky i was like i'll do the same thing i have to get this cleaned out um get somebody on thumbtack i paid 175 bucks for them to come in they, they bagged up trash, but left it in the living room. I paid an extra $75 for uh, refrigerator cleaning. They wiped all the surfaces down and left all the stuff inside. So I was like, <laughs> okay, you, you said refrigeration cleaning, but all the stuff is still in there. And he was like, oh, well, if you reference what we do, it doesn't say we take the trash out of the refrigerator and i'm like oh man what are you effing cleaning then no but then uh the property manager um she has a friend that does cleaning on the side Mm -hmm. and she was only 75 bucks and she went above and beyond 
for just the 75 bucks, she did the whole unit. She actually cleaned the fridge. She took all the trash out and threw it out herself. And without paying her anything extra, she went into the, the community laundry room and she cleaned that out as well. And so uh, just for the fact that she's friends with the property manager and now she's uh, asking, you know, the maintenance folks that work at the university, like, hey, do you want to do something on the side? I have these holes that I need to get filled at this apartment complex right across the street. And so they're coming this weekend and they're going to fix all the things in there and they're going to be a fraction of the cost of what I would do if I had some like handyman or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not like getting some janky person on Craigslist or something like that um, to come in and and maybe do a shoddy job. It's maintenance folks that do that full time at a university. Mm -hmm. Um, So we had like some small plumbing issues uh, like fixing that toilet in that unit. They had the plumber from the university come over and do it. And it was like, it was like, 50 bucks. Whereas like if I got a plumber off thumbtack, their service fee, like just to show up was 125 bucks. That's insane. Big difference. So it, it's making a huge difference having this person. Um, Sonia's her name, Sonia being mm-hmm. there and having connections with the people right next to that apartment complex um, is, has made a big difference. So that's where, again, I appreciate you saying like, Hey man, like you asked the right questions, but I feel like I'm like really lucky that it was her (laughs) of all people. Um, because she'll be the one that leans forward and like calls me about stuff. It's not just me like bugging her. Right. So she is doing a great job. She's a fraction of the price of everybody else has connections with people that have trades that you actually need for an apartment complex. Um, so it's, it's been massively helpful, but to go back to your question, um, I don't think there's any water damage that we can see a section eight mm-hmm. inspector didn't see any of that. So, mm-hmm. so far so good, but we'll see. I mean, that must make you feel so good. And you know, for me now, what, if I'm ever thinking about buying property in Kentucky, I'm going to go to you dude. And I'll be like, <laughs> Hey, you now have a, a gold Rolodex of resources in Kentucky. And that yeah. is so important. And this is why I tell people like, you got to go out to other meetups and you got to network, you got to build relations with other people because you never know the experiences of what people have gone through. And whenever you have a problem, this is the beauty of being a sub too. It's like, I can post a problem out there and hopefully someone will come back and say like, like you like, Oh yeah, I got someone, I got a plumber out in, in Kentucky that might be able to help you in Frankfurt. Like yeah. that's the beauty of joining a community. And I think that's why for everybody out there that's thinking about investing, you need that community support. So I think I want to bring this uh, into the next stage where I just want to talk about like your mindset a little bit, man, because you have two daughters at home right now, you're working mm-hmm. a full-time job and you're trying to do a real interesting thing. Like, how do you keep going, man? That's not, I, I'm literally tired and sleepy thinking about like how, how much work you got going on, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a lot of spinning plates. And I, as far as mindset goes, I, I try to balance everything out, but there's times, man, I'm, I'm dropping plates all the time. So I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. I haven't found that perfect balance. Um, the big thing, like my wife is really used to me being at a nine to five job. 
So she thinks, oh, as an investor, yeah, you could just start at nine. And then at five, you can kind of just like <laughs> put the phone down, close the laptop, and then it's family time. Um, but I've actually proven to her that, you know, random times on Facebook, someone needs help with a deal mm -hmm. and I'll JV with them. And uh, here's like, you know, a little extra cash to help the family out. But it required me to be on my phone at like 10 p.m. Got it. And so she kind of understands that. But then she also is like, you know, you're doing this so that you can spend more time with the family, have that freedom to mm -hmm. choose what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But it seems like you're working more now than, you know, less, which is the goal. And I, I try to, you know, I, I can feel it emotionally, mentally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like down the road when the cash flow from these properties is enough for me to leave my W2. And then it's just, I can choose to be, mm -hmm. you know, working real estate for however long I want from anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Like I can feel that, but I can, I can only convey that to her in words. And so I don't think she truly feels it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she gets a little spark of it. If I close like a wholesale deal and here's like a check that I bring back from the title company. Yeah. Um, but that, that is probably the toughest part is getting, uh, my wife on board with, you know, I have to sacrifice time now mm -hmm. in order to have more time later, but it, it's not like a predetermined timeline. It's just, when it happens, it happens. If I could work more now, it's going to happen faster. Mm -hmm. So that, that one's definitely tough. Um, I've definitely had moments where I'm on the phone and my daughter's like, come play with me, come play with me. And I'm like, after this phone call, give me 10 minutes. Oh, and no. it's like yeah. four, five minutes later, you know, and then I'm off the phone. So those ones are that those moments are definitely tough. Um, yeah. I mean, I and, can't imagine what you were feeling when she called you a stranger, right? Like that. But guess what? You as a dad, you stepped up and said, well, let me change my, my environment. Let me change the situation that I'm in and let me get back to how do I do this and be a great dad at the same time. And I think some of the things like, these are tough things, right? As entrepreneurs, we're always, it's almost grinding. Like I left my job, but I, it's just like you, I feel like I'm, I'm doing more hours than before I left my W2 job. Yeah. But I think we understand that we're working towards a vision that is so much bigger than us. We want to give that, get that time freedom, but we also want to get that financial freedom as well for our family so that they can have choices in life, right? What, so that they can do whatever they want to do in life. And I think you're very committed to that. Um, and I think it's just a matter of time before you crush it, dude, and you keep going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely, the mindset has always been, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Um, but yeah, it's interesting, even at work, like I, I, was very fortunate as a, a federal government employee when I had mm -hmm. my second daughter, Everly, um, I could do 12 weeks of paid parental leave. Yes. And man, during that 12 weeks, um, man, I made massive headway with investing um, because I could spend uh, pretty much as much time as possible that's where my wife was like, yeah, you could do nine to five for investing. And then it's family time after that. During the 12 weeks of uh, paid parental leave, it was like pretty easy to do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was able to close uh, two wholesale deals during that um, with uh, some really awesome people in Oregon. 
that are also in sub two. And uh, just before that was able to close uh, a fourplex here in Oregon. It's just about 40 miles south of where I live. Yes. All right. 5% interest rate, FHA loan. And that one was just because I was able to go to a meetup and talk about what I was doing with that eight unit apartment complex. And then this investor comes up and he's like, he's like, dude, I have this fourplex. I did kind of what you did where I partnered with a guy, but whereas you're paying your 50% of the expenses, my partner's not. And he's like, so I just, I just need to get out of this deal. Um, and they actually had it on market, um, since like January. And so January of, of this year, if anything was on market over 30 days, it might've well, it's been like a year. Um, and just from what I learned in sub two, like literally pulled out uh, a pizza stain napkin, underwrote the deal right there. And (laughs) the dude was like, uh, yeah, let's do it. And so I got the same partner that brought the money for the 10 units in Kentucky and was like, dude, let's do the same thing on this one. It's also 10% down. Um, but I'll, I'll do everything else again. And so we took that one down and that one's been pretty good too. Wow. Congratulations, man. You, you're on a roll right now. I'm so glad you got that parental leave and you're crushing it, man. I just feel the momentum like <laughs> happening for you, dude. I feel it. Like it's, you're literally snowballing right now, dude. Oh man. I'm so excited for you, man. So, all right. I, I know it's about time that we wrap up, but Matt, what do you need in your business right now? Like where can people help you out with? What do you need help with? Yeah, I, I'd say the the two things that I enjoy the most, uh, number one is creative underwriting. Mm-hmm. It's been, you know, there's certain levers that if you pull them in a certain way, you can make any deal work. And so trying to hunt and find how to pull those levers in that way, it's uh, it's like a puzzle for me. And I'm like actually really into doing that. So Love it. if anyone needs help with creative underwriting, Definitely for residential properties, like I said, I, mm-hmm. I underwrote an eight-unit apartment <laughs> like it was a uh, an eight-unit single-family house. So mm-hmm. take that for what it is. I can still grow in my creative underwriting, that's for sure. Um, but then secondly, talking to sellers on the phone and trying to close them. Um, those two wholesale deals, uh, I was the one, you know, the lead eventually got passed to me. I jumped on mm-hmm. the phone with the seller. And whether it was in one phone call or uh, over the course of three months, like this last one I closed, um, was able to make it happen. And uh, it's something, you know, I've always been a very introverted person. But for whatever reason, when I'm talking to sellers and trying to get a deal closed, uh, it's just a really rewarding experience for me. So, yeah, creative underwriting, creative closing. I would love to do any of those. Got it. So, I mean, if you have a lead and you need help with it, I would definitely love to help. Got it. As far as like needs, I think like everyone else, man, if I could get some solid uh, private money lenders, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we have creative deals that are coming in all the time, especially now with like Kevin Cho's on market, uh, Mm -hmm. the Cho method, you know? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. I'm having a ton of success with uh, talking to agents. Like I have one in Tacoma. I'm probably going to be closing here pretty soon. Love it. But I would love to be able to wrap those. And so having the security that can bring somebody in, you know, mm-hmm. cover that entry fee and then 
get a wrap buyer to cover that and maybe then some um, okay. with that cash flow down the road would be sweet. Um, but I'm even trying to find a primary residence that I can take over sub two or some kind of creative finance here in uh, Salem, Oregon for me and my family. Okay. okay. And I found a few, but <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> it's just the private money to, you know, cover okay. the entry fee. So that's the biggest needs right now. Um, but yeah, if, if anyone has any questions about VA loans, um, I am a veteran. I've done everything you possibly can do with a VA loan. Um, I've worked toward assuming a loan with uh, the VA loan, but um, that didn't work out, which I'm lucky that it didn't. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty knowledgeable on all of that. And so if there's anyone that needs some help with that piece, I can help as well. So love it, man. I've seen some of your content on VA loans. It's incredibly simple and straightforward. So thank you for putting that together. I know there's so many, so many questions about VA loans out there, especially when dealing with creative finance. So you, you're a great creative underwriter, you are a closer, and you can even talk to agents. And if anybody has any private money that they need, would like to get some solid double digit returns back by real estate. I'll have them reach out to you. What is the best way for them to reach out to you, Matt? Is it Instagram, YouTube? What is it going to be? Yeah, the best one's going to be Instagram. And my handle is at Investor Dude Matt. All one word. Matt with two I love two. it. And, Investor uh, Dude Matt. Got it. All right. Yep. And then if anybody that needs any help with the stuff that I mentioned, absolutely feel free to shoot me a text or give me a call. Um, it's 503-334-334. Nine five three nine. Wow, that's brave. And I will make sure people follow and subscribe your YouTube channel because you got some amazing content on YouTube as well. So Matt, thank you for sharing your amazing story with me. And thanks again for your investment in affordable housing. I really, really love it. And I love hearing about how you are making money in multiple ways within real estate. So I think that's been truly valuable for our listeners. So thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kent. Really appreciate it, man. All right.